Thanks for listening in to the Calvary Podcast, coming to you from Miami, Florida. We're so glad you've joined us. We hope today's message will encourage you and remind you that God is with you and He's for you. Here's today's message. Bibles. Grab your Bibles. We're going to start this series. I'm excited today. Hey, can we do something? Can we welcome all of our YouTube family, all of our podcast family, our online community? Come on, can we give them a big, big hand? Everybody that joins us week in and week out through all of our different locations and all of our different platforms, we're glad that you're tuning in and that you're watching. Today we're starting this brand new series called Nothing is Impossible, and we're looking at Jesus the Miracle Maker. Go to John. Go to the book of John. We're going to start in the book of John chapter 2. John chapter 2. As you're going there, look at the person next to you and tell them, I am so happy that you are sitting next to me. Come on, can you smile at the person next to you? Can you look at the person on the opposite side and tell them, I actually like you better than my first neighbor? Come on. Smile at somebody. Tell somebody they look good today. If the world's full of negativity, come on, there has to be some encouragement in the house. Has to start somewhere. So come on, one more time. Tell your neighbor to smile. Tell them they have a nice smile today. <laughs> Jose, you have a great smile. You're an incredible man of God, and I love you too. John chapter 2. John chapter 2. I'm really excited about this series. I'm really pumped about it. In fact, if you were not here midweek, uh, midweek, we have what we call our first Wednesday service or our DNA nights. And this past Wednesday was absolutely amazing. And one of the things that we did is that we're praying for miracles. And we're going to be praying for miracles, whatever that is. I don't know what you're up against this year, but I know this. He who's with you is greater than whatever's against you. There's a God in heaven who's all-powerful, almighty, and we're talking about him and believing that God can still make miracles happen. And so we're praying that as we're going up into Easter. John chapter 2. Let me give you a little bit of context of the setting of what is happening in John chapter 2. If you're there, can you shout amen? amen. John chapter 2, we are at a wedding. And we're going to read what happens at this wedding. This is the first public miracle that Jesus does. So it's important to understand it. It's important to look at it. It's important to read it. Uh, because this is the first time that Jesus goes public and shows a display of power and of who he really is. It's a very important miracle. All throughout scripture, there's anywhere from 35 to 40 miracles recorded. Some uh, say some are not miracles. Others say yes, some of these are miracles. But let's say anywhere from 35 to 40 miracles. We're going to look at five over the next several weeks. Today, uh, we're starting with this first one where he turns water into wine. In John chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. One more time, if you're there, can you shout amen? amen? Beginning in verse 1, it says, on the third day, on the third day, it's important, on the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Verse 6. Nearby, close to them, was six stone water jars. And these were the water jars that were used for ceremonial washings 
And the Bible says that each one held from 20 to 30 gallons. Verse 7, Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And so they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside, and he said, everyone usually brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests had drank too much. They had too much to drink. But you, you have saved the best till now. We'll finish with one more verse, verse 11. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory. And the disciples believed in him. And his disciples believed in him. John chapter 2 is our case study today. Is what we're talking about for the next maybe about 20, 25 minutes. I think it's important as we start this series to understand what Jesus is doing in John chapter 2. Out of John chapter 2 today, I want to give you a message that I've titled, The New Is Here. The New Is Here. Can you look at three, four people around you and tell them, The New Is Here. The New Is Here. The New Is Here. Look at them in the eyes and tell them, It's a new day. Come on. It's a new day. Come on, 1 p.m. The New is here. We're going to talk about this. Let's break it down for the next several minutes, and then we'll worship Jesus one more time. Have an incredible Sunday. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the amazing day that we've had so far across all of our locations, all of our services, our online community as we start this brand new uh, series Nothing is impossible. Jesus, the miracle worker. I pray that you would do miracles even right now, God, in our hearts, and our soul, in our mind, that you would heal, save, deliver, make us free. Help us, God, to see you for who you really are. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for your grace, your kindness. You are so good to us, God. We love you, and we thank you. And it's in Jesus' name, all of God's people say. Amen. Oh, come on. All of God's people say. Amen. One more time. Can you give Jesus a big, big praise? Come on. Come on. If there's anything that I really don't enjoy, if there's anything that I really dislike, is uh, putting gasoline in my car. Anybody with me? I do not like putting gas in my car. It's just, it's one of my things. I don't like putting gas. I will wait until the last second to pull over at a gas station. and pull. I have become an expert at driving my car to the limit and knowing how far I can take it before I put gas. Come on, anybody like me? Come on. Ah, oh, can I get a big amen? amen? Obviously, Diana has one of her biggest pet peeves of being married to me because she absolutely hates it. I think Diana, if it was up to her, she'll put gas every day. She gets in the car, and I could have three quarters of a tank, and she's like, we need gas, we need gas, we need gas. I'm like, babe, there's still three quarters of a tank in the car. And she's like, we need gas. It goes down to about halfway. I got half a tank left, and she's like, babe, we... We need gas. We need gas. And I'm like, babe, don't worry about it. I, I don't care. Anybody can get in my car, and with, with a quarter of a tank, I will take you to Orlando and back. That's how good I've got it. Come on, anybody with me? I just don't enjoy putting gas in the car, having to stop, and, and I'll prolong it as long as I have to because it's painful for me. I don't, I don't enjoy it. If you're judging me, I'll judge you right back. Now, I think... Uh, more pain 
then having to put gas in the car is what? Running out of gas. <laughs> now, because I like pushing the car to the limit, um, I've ran out of gas several times. Has this happened to anybody in here? Anybody in here? Have you ever ran out of gas on a highway, on a street somewhere? It's the worst. Years ago, <laughs> years ago, um, I remember I was driving this old little pickup truck. It was my dad's truck he had handed down to me when my first car broke down. And I was driving my dad's pickup truck, and I was in college, and I was working a full-time job. And so, so I drove this car pretty regularly, and I, I thought I knew how far I could take it, right? And so I often wouldn't put gas, and I'll take it all. I mean, this thing was on E. It was on E. And people would get in the car, and they're like, I think we should stop it. I'm like, I got this. Don't worry about it. And I, drew, I, I drove from Medley to Kendall Campus, Kendall Campus, back to Medley to college. And, and I did my thing, and, and I, I wouldn't put gas at all until one day, I'm pressing on the gas, and there's no power coming from the car. You ever experienced that? I'm pressing on the gas, and the car is just like, it's, it's giving up. It's on its last vital signs of strength. And I have, uh, it was probably about 4.30, 5 o'clock in the afternoon when there's heavy traffic in our city, and there's cars behind me, and my car starts slowing down, slowing down, slowing down. And here I am pressing on the gas, and I'm pressing this thing. I'm just like pressing this thing, and it's just like, it was this old pickup truck. I don't forget. It was just like, it would get a little bit of strain in this. Can somebody do that? Come on. I think I'm going to do it by myself. Do it with me. It was on this last little bit of strength, and finally the car just stopped rolling. And I had to get off the car, and I had to begin to push the car while all of Miami is staring at me. The guy who does not like to put gas. Has that ever happened to anybody? Come on. I call my dad. He's like, I'm on my way. I'm there pushing the car, pushing it to the side. He brings containers of gasoline. Here I am pushing a car and trying to drive something forward that has an empty tank. I think the same thing that happens with cars and vehicles is the same thing that can happen in our spiritual life. A lot of us are trying to move forward with an empty spiritual tank. And we find ourselves striving, and we find ourselves pushing, and we find ourselves trying really hard, weary and burdened down, because what we've become accustomed to is religion and not relationship. Can I tell you that life with Jesus is not about religion. It's not about a whole bunch of things that you need to follow. It's a thriving life with Jesus. It's a life full of life. It's a life full of hope. It's a life full of peace. It's a life full of joy. It's a life full of grace. Anybody grateful for Jesus this afternoon? And so often, life with God just becomes a checklist. Like, I just got to go to church. I'll hear a cute little message. I'll sing some songs. And then I go home. And if we're not careful, we reduce God down to a Sunday to Sunday meeting instead of a Monday through Saturday life with God. And then we wonder why we're striving and pushing because our tanks are on empty. Have you ever felt tired? Spiritually just tired, weary. Like, God, I don't get this. I'm, I'm following all these rules. I'm going to church. I'm doing all these things. But, but I just feel burdened. And I really believe it's because a lot of us are falling into religion, not relationship. Now, now life will, will all of a sudden confuse you because... What happens is that you think you can take life on your own. You think, well, the reality is I, how much do I really know God? How much do I really need God? Because I'm, I'm a pretty strong person. 
I can figure life out. I, I'll, I, I can handle this. I may be tired. I may be weary. My life may be a little bit crazy. My marriage may be a little bit messed up. The kids may be going crazy. But, but I can handle life on my own. And this is where we find out that our strength is limited and our wisdom is limited. But if you're not careful, the human ego inside will tell you, you can handle life on your own. You don't need the word of God. You don't need to get in a connect group. A connect group? No way. Connect group is probably full of weird people anyway. You don't need to go to no grow track. You've been growing your whole life. I've been growing for 39 years. I don't need to grow track now. And if you're not careful, the ego will tell you that you don't need God and you don't need his strength and you don't need his life and you don't need his peace because you got it all figured out. You think my diplomas are enough. My career is enough. My money's enough. And if you're not careful, you'll come to find out that our biggest enemy is our inner me. The ego can become the biggest enemy. And all of a sudden it'll tell you, you can carry this, you can carry the load, you can carry the burden, life is good, you got this all under control, you make enough money, you're smart enough, you're wise enough, but sooner or later, life will knock you out. Life, it will swing at you and take the air out of you. All of a sudden you'll be, I was not expecting this. And you'll come to find out that every single human being, I don't care how much you bench press, I don't care how much you eat vegan, I don't care how strong you are, our strength is limited, our wisdom is limited, but there's an unlimited God and he has all the wisdom in the world. Come on, he is the God that is a provider. He's a God that's a healer. He's a God that he comes and he will rescue us, but we need to have faith. Somebody shout faith. It's not about the ego and how much we can do. If we're trying to do it on our own, you will end up tired, weary, and burdened. You're trying to do this life on your own. You can't do it on your own. I can't do this thing on my own. This is why we're striving. This is why we're pushing. And all of a sudden, our spiritual lives aren't empty because we're following religion on our own, not relationship with the all-true living God. Today, what I want to remind you of is that you need, you need to let faith fuel your life to live full. Have some faith this morning. Have some faith today that I serve a God of the impossible. I serve a God that can turn all things around. And when I can't carry it, I serve a God that carries it for me. And when I can't go through it, I serve a God that will help me go through it. That when I can't solve the problem in front of me, come on, he's the problem solver. He's the one that helps me move mountains. If I had faith like a mustard seed, I would tell to this mountain, move, and it shall move. I wonder if there's 10 people with faith in the building this afternoon that will give God some praise. Come on, you know he's the mountain mover. You know he's the problem solver. Somebody give Jesus a big praise this afternoon. Come on. Come on, he's with us. But if you want a full life, you need a faith life. Saying, I can't carry this thing on my own. I need you. And sooner or later you realize he's the one that can only come and save the day. John chapter 2 is extremely interesting. It's probably my favorite miracle that Jesus did. It's powerful, it's profound, it's deep, it's extremely symbolic. In fact, we don't even have enough time on a Sunday to talk about the importance of John chapter 2, to talk about the symbolic representation of John chapter 2. I would encourage you to go home, read it, read some commentaries on it, because you're going to get so much out of John chapter 2. Obviously, the author of John is... John, trick question. Come on. The author of John is... John. John was Jesus' best friend. Like they, they, they were homies. They were boys. They were best friends. And if anybody knew Jesus well, if anybody has some good stories to tell, it was John. 
John is writing this about 40 years after Jesus ascends into heaven. He picks up a pen. Now, what you need to understand is that John's mission, his agenda in writing the gospel of John is to persuade and convince his readers that Jesus wasn't just a teacher or a prophet or a motivational speaker. Jesus was the son of God. That is the goal of the book of John. He wants you to know that Jesus, he's not just a good guy. He's not just a good teacher. He didn't just do some cute miracles. He's the son of the almighty living God. He, this is what John is trying to get us to understand. That's why right from the very beginning, John says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Right from the very beginning, John comes out the gate saying, Jesus is the son of God. He was, is, and will always be. And so if you want to know who Jesus is, read the book of John. He's the son of the living almighty God. And so right in the second part of this letter, chapter 2, he's going to tell us Jesus' first public miracle. It's an important miracle that John wants to give us because it's the one that opened the gates at who Jesus really is. Jesus did anywhere from 35 to 40 miracles recorded in Scripture. Actually, John says at the end of his gospel that Jesus did so many miracles that all the books in the world can't contain all the miracles that he did. Come on, he's the miracle worker. And so John in chapter 2, he's going to give us the setting and the story of the first miracle. They're, they're at a wedding. Jesus gets invited to it. Anybody love a good wedding? Come on. All my wedding people make some noise. John and Andrea are about to have a wedding in a little bit. They're getting married. They got engaged. Weddings are awesome. They're also expensive, so I'm praying for you. Um, they're at a wedding. Weddings are awesome. Now, now, John begins by saying, on the third day, on the third day. Somebody say the third day. I wish we had a little bit more time to explain the significance of the third. Anytime you see the number three in Scripture, it represents new life. Right, the Bible says that on the third day of creation, God separated the waters from the land. There was a new earth now that he was going to put life in it, right? That was the third day. The Bible says that after the rain has stopped, Noah and his three sons descended out of the ark. Out of the three sons, a new mankind comes out, and something happens. The Bible says that Jonah's in the belly of the fish for three days, and after three days, it spits him out, and he finally goes on his mission. The Bible also says something that we're going to celebrate in just a couple of weeks, that on the third day, and death had held down Jesus, but the stone had to be rolled away on the third day. Come on, somebody. Anybody grateful for third days? Anybody grateful for that third day? Oh, come on. It's somebody's third day today. I'm telling you, you're coming out of that grave. You're coming out with life. Anybody grateful for the God that nothing is impossible for him? The number three, number three is significant. And so John says, on the third day, because something new is about to happen in John chapter 2. We're about to be introduced to a new system, a new way of life, because the new is here. Somebody shout, the new is here. So on the third day, they go to this wedding. I also wish we could have a little bit more time to talk about the significance of the wedding. Jesus is at the wedding where there's a bride and a bridegroom getting married and being, and being celebrated. And here they are in their brand new union. This is amazing. It's also a picture of a future wedding that's going to happen between a better bridegroom who is the bigger and better Jesus. Come on, somebody. Who's the bigger and better bridegroom? His name is Jesus. To a bride called the church of Jesus Christ. If you didn't know, the Bible calls the church the bride. And it calls Jesus the bridegroom. 
and one day we're going to have a wedding feast. And in that wedding feast, nothing will run out because he's the God of provision, because he's the God who already provided everything across the scope of history. And so it's really a symbolic representation of the better uh, and bigger bridegroom called Jesus. Jesus is at a wedding, and the wine has run out. Now, how many know, how many know that's a problem? I know you're acting holy, and I know you're acting all sanctified, but the wine running out of the party, it's a problem. These weddings back in ancient times, they weren't just weddings that lasted a couple hours. Some of them lasted days. They were almost like these festivals. John, imagine paying for a wedding like that. We're going to take up an offering just for John after service. They sometimes lasted up to a week, and so you, you had to have enough provision for your guests. In ancient times and in Eastern culture, it wasn't the bride or the father of the bride that provided for the wedding. It was the responsibility of the man, the bridegroom, to provide for the wedding. And so if you ran out of any supply at your wedding, it was an embarrassment. It was a shame. How could this guy, he's getting married, and he don't even have enough wine in his wedding. He doesn't have enough croquetas in his wedding. You know, there's a problem. Running out of wine at the wedding is equivalent to people showing up at your house for Noche Buena and you, you ran out of lechon. Come on, how many know that's not a party? That ain't no party in Miami. You need enough lechon. You can have the cajachina, but you need enough lechon to feed a whole neighborhood for two weeks. Come on. And so they've run out of wine. They ran out of wine. This is symbolic. It's profound. It's deep. And we're having a whole lot of fun. But, but I'm telling you, you need to go back and read this because this is a, a symbolic picture of the state of God's people. They've run out of wine. They've run out of wine. It's done, they're dry. Because they were living under the Mosaic Covenant. In the Old Testament, you remember God got the Ten Commandments from, uh, gave the Ten Commandments to Moses. Moses received these Ten Commandments and then throughout time received a bunch of more commandments, some believe up to 613 commandments. This is how they should live. This is how they should wash their hands, wash their face, wash their feet. This is how they should go to weddings. This is how they should enter a house. This is how they are supposed to uh, observe the Sabbath. This is how they're supposed to, I mean, every little detail, how they should shave and cut their hair, every little detail. God gave them details on how to live on everything. Now, the law was a lot of laws. Imagine every day waking up and having to obey 613 laws. Some of us can't even keep up with the speed limit on the highway. Imagine 613 laws. Steps you take, the way you move, the way you talk, what you think, what you say. The law had become a burden on the people. The law was good. The law was just a shadow of one that was to come. The law was supposed to show the people you need divine intervention. In fact, the book of Galatians says that the law served as a tutor to lead us to Jesus. In other words, there are so many laws on how you should live, how you should walk, how you should talk, how you should think, what you should do, how you should cleanse yourself, how you should, all these laws that were supposed to show you, can't nobody live like this. These are too many laws. I fail every single day. 
The law was supposed to show you, I need divine intervention. I'm tired. Now, there were some Pharisees and Sadducees who were actually burdening people with more laws and more things and saying, you can't meet God's standard. You are no good. Only a few of us can go to see God. Only a few of us can have a relationship with God. But on John chapter 2, there's a new dawn. There's a new hope. There's a new system that's about to come in because the old law is dying out. The wine had run out. In fact, they were living by the letter of the law, not by the spirit of the law. In other words, they were following all these rules and regulations but failing to recognize that the law was supposed to draw them closer to God. The law was supposed to show them, I need you. God, I call on you. I can't do this on my own. I need divine intervention from heaven. And all of a sudden in John chapter 2, Jesus steps on the scene and he says, I'm glad you've been living by the Mosaic covenant, but there's only one who can keep the law and that is the son of the living God, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the one that the law was pointing to. This is the standard of God's nature. You can't meet it, but here enters the room one that can. And he's about to meet it for all of humanity. The law, it served its purpose for its time, but now it was time for a new thing. Somebody say a new thing. I sense in my heart, it's time for a new thing for some of you. Some of you have been living in some things that God has moved past, and it's time for you to enter into a new season with God. I don't know what you've been in. I don't know what you got involved with, but I'm telling you, we serve a God that wants to give you brand new seasons. We serve a God that wants to bless you. We serve a God that wants to help you. We serve a God that wants to guide you. Stop living in something that's dead and step into the new thing that God has for your life. Jesus comes in, and they are about to go from the Mosaic Covenant and in a few years, the new blood covenant. And this story is just a symbolic representation of what Jesus was going to do at Calvary. Your systems were dead. Old man rules and traditions were dying because Jesus is about to instill a new blood covenant. In fact, the way that humanity relates with God is about to change in a couple of years. They're at the party and the wine runs out. Mary hears about this. She hears about this from either the bride or the bridegroom or somebody. She hears that the wine runs out. And notice that Mary doesn't just grab anybody and say, hey, I need you to go down to this, to this store and grab some wine. I need, I need you to go and, and, and talk to somebody. Like, what's that store where they sell wine? What's it called? Um, Total Wine. How do you guys know? Mary doesn't just give somebody money and say, hey, go to Total Wine and grab some wine and bring a bunch of cases of wine. Mary doesn't go to the master of the ceremony or doesn't go to the wedding planner, which, by the way, are very expensive. Mary doesn't go to any of When the wine is run out, where does Mary go? She goes to Jesus. She hears there's no wine at the party anymore. There's no more wine at the wedding. And she goes to Jesus, runs over to Jesus. Jesus! <laughs> Jesus, there's no more wine. There's no more wine. You know what I love about this picture? Is that Mary knows where to go when life has gone low, when your gas tank is on empty, when everything that you've tried on your own leaves you with nothing, there is one that you can always go to. There's one that you can always count on. There's one that is always there. There's one that never changes. Come on, his name is Jesus. In order for you to receive your miracle, in order for you to walk with the miracle worker, what you need to remember, number one, is always remember the source. Somebody shout the source. The source. Mary doesn't call up stores. 
Mary doesn't go to talk to three or four people and they have a little committee on how they're going to get more wine to the party. Mary doesn't start looking across Google on where Amazon could deliver wine as soon as possible. She runs to Jesus. Can I tell you, if you're empty today, if your gas tank is on empty, if you're on E, if you've tried it on your own, if you've done religion, if you've checked off a list and you still feel like you're striving and pushing, there's one source that you can go to. You don't have to call Cleo. You don't have to call a psychic. You don't have to look at a horoscope. You don't have to phone a friend. There's one person that you can go to. Oh, come on. He's the one that made the stars. He's the one that knows it all. He's the one with unlimited supply. He's the one that has all knowledge. He's the one that has all hope. He's the one that has all grace. He's the one that has all peace. Come on, he is the unlimited source of the world. If you're grateful for Jesus, can somebody give him a 10-second praise in this place today? Somebody lift up the name above every name. The name of Jesus. Come on. The world runs to other sources. When life has gone crazy, we go to our bank account. So let me, sure, let me make sure my savings account are good. My stocks and my bonds are good. Let me make sure I run to my career. Let me make sure I run to my salary. Let me run to family and friends. And sooner or later, you'll find out all that crumbles. Everything crumbles. Family and friends will leave you. Relationships will betray you. Work, they, you will be out of work in a second. Stock market will crash and all those investments are lost. But there's one that never changes. Oh, come on. I don't know about you, but I'm grateful that I got something I can depend on all the days of my life. Somebody shout the source. Psalm chapter 34, I believe it is. Psalm chapter 34. If we can put it up, Psalm chapter 34 says this, or 36, I'm sorry. How priceless is your unfailing love. People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house. Come on, isn't that good? There's abundance in the house of God. You give them drink from your river of delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. Today, are you running low on peace? Are you running low on grace? Are you running low on mercy? Are you running low on hope? There's a house with abundance, and it's the house of God. There's a God with unlimited supply, and he's the fountain of life. Mary goes to Jesus. Somebody in here today, you need to run to Jesus. I don't know what you've been running to. Maybe you've been running to people. Maybe you've been running to careers. Maybe you've been running to relationships. Maybe you've been running to the bank. Maybe you've been running every single direction. Today, you're in the right place at the right time. There's one you can run to. Today, run to Jesus. Mary remembers, wait, I didn't give birth to a natural child. This is God, man. And she runs to Jesus. And she says, Jesus, Jesus, <laughs> there's no more wine at the party. But they have a little bit of dialogue, and you got to read about it. It's deeper in the Hebrew. Basically, what he's saying is, what does this have to do with me? My time has not come yet. In other words, I'm going to take my time with what i got to do here on earth. But still he moves forward with the miracle because what he's going to do is give us a preview of what he's about to do at Calvary. So finally he says, okay, hey, the six water stone jars, fill them up with water, he tells the servants. Now, now I don't know about you, but if I'm one of the servants, I'm confused right now. 
because I just heard your mother say there's no more wine, and you're talking about serving these people water. Jesus, don't nobody want water at this party. They want wine at this party, right? This is hard. Like, this, this makes no sense. Your mother just came and said, Jesus, there's no more wine. And you're like, all right, cool. Hey, put water in the stone jars. Water in the stone jars? What? This makes no sense. Because the second thing that you need to remember for you to receive your miracle, you need to surrender your will. Because it's not about the way that we want to do things. A miracle is supernatural. It does not go by natural processes. A lot of us want a miracle from God, but we want it on our process, on our timelines, the way we got life figured out. God, my life is a mess. God, my marriage is a mess. Can you please hit my husband with a lightning bolt over the head and see that he needs to give his life to you? And God's like, no, what I'm calling you to do is go home and love on him. What I'm calling you to do is go home and pray for him. What I'm calling you to do is to be a witness in the house. But you want a miracle your way. You want it like Burger King, your way, right away. But God might just take a whole nother process. God, I'm upset. Somebody in church offended me. Somebody in life offended me. I can't believe I'm mad. I'm offended. You ever seen people offended, walk around bitter everywhere? Oh, I'm, I'm not going to talk to nobody until they ask me for forgiveness. And God's like, I can, I can heal you of the bitterness. What about if you take the higher road and you ask for forgiveness first? <laughs> they offended me. Not going back to church until they ask. Miracles are always going to be upside down because the kingdom of God is upside down. It's not the way we think. It's not the way that we process. He isn't just going to make wine out of nowhere. First, he's going to tell you, fill the water stones, the water jars with uh, the stone jars with water. And this makes no sense to the natural mind. If I was a servant, I'd be like, fill these with water. This makes no sense. These are the jars that are used for ceremonial purification. That's what the Bible says in John chapter 2. And if you go back to the book of Leviticus, you'll see what they were used for. This is, this is where they used to come. Before they entered a festival, a feast, a wedding, before they entered a synagogue, before they entered a home, they had to clean their hands, clean their hands, clean their feet a certain way with this kind of water. And Jesus is saying, fill this water. Jesus, we don't need cleansing on the outside. What are you talking about? They just need wine. This makes no sense. And Jesus is like, can you just surrender your will? Can you just stop trying to do things your way? I'm about to do something, and I'm about to show you a preview of what's about to add at Calvary, but you still want things your way. Many times God won't change your situation because he's trying to change your character. Yeah. Yeah. But until you surrender your will, you can't see the miracle happen. Look at the Bible says, Psalm chapter 37, verses 4 through 5. Take delight in the Lord. Oh, we love this one. Come on, we, we, we quote this one all the time. And he will give you the desires of your, oh, I love it. We put this on coffee mugs, refrigerators, windshield wipers. We put this thing everywhere. But we forget the next verse that says, commit your way to the Lord. Yeah. Trust in him and he'll do this. He'll give you the lights of your heart when you commit your ways to him first. Can you surrender? Go to the source, remember the source, but then surrender your will. It's not about me. God, I come to you, and now, how do you want to do things? And Jesus says, I want you to fill these six jars with water. By the way, the number six 
is the number of man in scripture. All throughout scripture, anytime you see the number six, it represented man. In other words, the sixth charge represented man's way of getting to God. But now Jesus is on the scene. He's the seventh jar, and he brings a new order. He's going to bring in a new covenant. This is profound. This is, this, is, um, this is prophetic, what Jesus is about to do. He says, fill them with water, because this water is about to turn into wine. And he says, after you fill them with water, fill them to the top, grab a cup, and take it to the master of the banquet. Scripture says that they do this and that the water turns into wine. Jesus is bringing a brand new order to the earth, a new way of relating with God. No longer do you have to wash the outside in your hands and your face and your feet. You should do that. Hello, coronavirus. You should do that. You should wash your hands, your feet, and all that. But what only can cleanse the outside it's, it's run out of its power. Now you need something that can cleanse the inside. And the only thing that can heal the human soul, the only thing that can come and take away sin, the only thing that can come and take away our shame and our guilt, oh, it's nothing but the blood of Jesus. And Jesus is about to give them a preview of his blood that's going to be shed on Calvary. Anybody grateful for the blood of Jesus? I don't know about you. Maybe you're sitting here at at a service, and maybe you're acting all cute, dignified, sanctified, but I know me. I know who I am. I know who I was. I know who I used to be, and I'm grateful that the blood of Jesus, it doesn't just wash the outside, but it washes the inside. It made me whole. It gave me healing. It took away shame. It took away guilt. I'm thankful for the blood that Jesus shed on Calvary. I don't have to follow all these rules. I run to Jesus when I need healing. I run to Jesus when I need hope. I run to Jesus when I I need my soul cleansed. Come on, it's the blood. I think if you grew up in church, you remember, but I think we, we don't talk about the blood enough. I think we should talk about the blood because there's power in the blood. When I grew up in church, we used to sing this song. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. I know this is the young service, but some of you know it. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. There's power in the blood of the Lamb. It's not water that washes the outside. It's now a new covenant being introduced that can cleanse the inside. Today, are you tired? Are you weary? That's why Jesus says in the book of Matthew, are you tired? Are you burdened? Are you weary? Follow me and I'll give you rest. You can't carry your sins on your own. Sin has a heavy price. It's called death. Humanity is pushing, striving, p -p 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 following religion. I, yeah, I go to church every once in a while. You talk to people on the street, talk to people in your job. Yeah, I've been to some churches. It's cool, it's straight. Me and God, we're good. You know what they're doing? They're following religion. Yeah, yeah, yeah I went to church once and I did this thing. I think I'm good. Right, you know what it is? P -p 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 it's religion. It's religion. And then when life hits, and the peace is gone, and the hope is gone, and the joy is gone, the car of religion can't take you where only the blood of Jesus can take you. And Jesus is showing a picture, hey, hey, there's a new way coming. And you don't have to be burdened down by all these laws. That was just to show you, you need the way to have access and the way to have relationship with God 
is to the blood of Jesus. Because in a couple weeks, we'll also have Good Friday where we're talking about Jesus on the cross, how he was covered in blood. The Bible says that he was unrecognizable. But it's that blood that was being shed that covered all of my sins. There's power. There's power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. I don't deserve to be here. My sin and guilt should have killed me. But the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus has so much power that guilt and shame have to let me go. Jesus is basically saying, this first miracle is to show you that life with me is better. It's a life where you're not running on empty. It's a life where you're not pushing, you're not striving. But you can be full of hope, peace, joy, grace, mercy, forgiveness. Anybody grateful for the blood of Jesus? Anybody grateful for the sacrifice on Calvary? Last but not least, we'll finish with this. The miracle happens when obedience happens. First, remember the source. Second, surrender your will. And I'll finish with this. Number three, obey his plans. If, if I was the servant, I'm going to be honest with you, I'm questioning Jesus every step of the way. I'm just being honest and transparent. I'm like... Your mom told you they ran out of wine. Here you're telling me to fill six jars with water, and now you're telling me to grab a cup and give it to the master of the banquet? He doesn't want water. He wants wine. The master of the banquet, that's a serious position. This is a guy in a high position, and I'm going to take him a cup of water. Jesus, do you want me to get killed? Have you ever been so thirsty? Let's say you play a game of basketball or, I don't know, you're out of the sun all day. And you think somebody served you Sprite or Coca-Cola, and you take a sip and it's water. Has that ever happened to anybody? It's the weirdest feeling in the world. Like, I love this Coke. Plus, it's water, right? You want me to do that to the master of the banquet. Jesus, you're about to make me look like a fool in front of this whole thing. See, a lot of times I think what happens is that we're afraid to look foolish. But sometimes a miracle will only happen when you let go of your reputation and you say, I don't care about me. I'm trusting what Jesus says, and I'm stepping out in obedience. And so he grabs the cup, puts it in the jar, and as he's walking, if I was a servant, I'd be like, water, Jesus, Jesus, I'm about to get killed, Jesus. He don't want no water, Jesus, 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 oh my God. And he gives it to the master of the banquet. When the master of the banquet drinks it, he says, whoa. Let me talk to the groom. Where's the bridegroom? Hey, most people put their best wine out first. Most people are drunk, then they bring out the cheap one. You brought out the best one last. This is amazing. Also a symbolic representation that the law was good only for a little while, but the best was coming for last. And it is Jesus Christ, the son of the living God, Come on, with his power, with his life, with his grace, with his forgiveness. It's the best thing that humanity has ever seen. Oh, come on, there's nothing like it. All the riches in the world can't compare to the son of the living God. All the money in the world can't compare to the king of kings. Come on, if you're grateful for the son of God, anybody give God some praise this afternoon. Lift up his name. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, there's nothing like you. We love you, Jesus. Come on, stand up on your feet all across this place. All across this place. All across this place. All across this place.